Welcome to the Thinking Tree Podcast, a production of Ecoholics Private Limited. Ever found yourselves entangled into the web of economic concepts? They are pretty freakish to be honest. But if you don't understand how it works, then you should definitely keep listening. Thinking Tree brings to you the best minds from the world of economics to talk about the current matters of importance and the freakish way in which they affect our lives. The show is strictly for educational purposes. The opinions expressed on the show are personal to the individuals appearing in the show and not those of Thinking Tree Ecoholics Private Limited. The show is not intended to offend or defame any individual, entity, caste, community, race or religion or to denigrate any institution, person, living or dead. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hello and welcome to Ecoholics Thinking Tree series. Today we have with us very distinguished personality, Dr. Govindra. He was the member of 14th Finance Commission. He was also the member of Economic Advisory Council to Prime Minister. He was also the director of NIPFP. Welcome, sir. Welcome to our show. Thank you. Today, we'll discuss about an insight into the concept and the structure of fiscal federalism in India. Because he was the member of 14th Finance Commission, so none other person or personality can explain better than him. Be it a federal government, a union government, a democracy, or a monarchy. Finances have always been a matter of debate among them. In India, the 14th Finance Commission took the historic decision of increasing the tax devolution to the states by a massive 10%. Today, we have with us one of the people responsible for this step to tell us how it all worked in favor of India. So to begin with, do you think that the recommendations of 14th Finance Commission have somewhat succeeded in achieving cooperative federalism in India? Um, let me at the outset say that um, you, know, you, you did in your introduction mention that uh, the 14th Finance Commission did a massive increase of uh, 10 percentage points yes. in uh, the tax devolution. Um, well, in terms of um, you know, uh, numbers, you are right. There is a 10 percentage point increase in the tax devolution. But if you really look at it very carefully, this is not really the case. Okay. Now, what has really happened is that, um, you know, when um, the Finance Commission was deliberating, the terms of reference of the Finance Commission did not make a distinction between non-plan and plan. Yes. The previous commissions gave only non-plan, uh, you know, expenditure requirements of the states. So we had to take it on the plan side. That means that we had to actually give the grants which the planning commission was giving earlier and that had to be a part of our recommendation. Yes. That was somewhere about 6% of the divisible pool. So from 36, 32 it became 38. Yes. And then the commission decided that it will not make any discretionary grants other than the revenue deficit grants and national calamity relief and local body grants. The previous commissions had given a lot of money for forest and education, healthcare, and a variety of discretionary grants they had given. And this commission decided that it will not. In fact, the 13th Finance Commission went on to give some 100 crores for a medical college in Haryana, 50 crores for a governor's house in Tripura, 
150 crores for lake rejuvenation in Karnataka, 150 crores uh, sea erosion in Tamil Nadu, and so on and so forth. Several grants they had given. We completely, you know, sort of we were we desisted from doing this type of uh, discretionary grants. Yeah. So the money saved that on that account was almost something like one and a half percent of the discretionary pool. So the distinction is between thirty-nine and a half and forty-two percent, and not really thirty-two to forty-two percent. This is something which I had several times I had to say. Then the question comes: Why did you increase from thirty-two percent? You know, from you know, even if this thing there is a marginal increase, why did you do that? So what we did was um, we looked looked at the the recommended look look at the expenditure pattern of the states and the center and if you really look at it from 2002 to 2002 to 2005 to 2012 yes if one looked at the expenditure pattern the central government or the union government spending on the state subjects in the constitution had increased from 14% to 20% Now, union government spending on concurrent subjects had increased from 13 to 17 percent. Why should you not let the state government to spend on their spend on their subjects as decided in the constitution? Why should the union government come and spend it? Yes. So the point is, union government should focus itself on the union subjects rather than trying to influence the the voters in the the, the state subjects. You know, it's easy for the union government to come and make spending through centrally sponsored schemes because this is where it can you can go to the electorate and then say that look, I am um, spending on you. It is not your state government spending on you. You know, basically, it's a sort of a, a vote catching sort of strategy. So we thought that the state governments are, are have to legitimately spend more on the state subjects, and therefore we should give greater greater flexibility. Yes, I mean, even when you have the centrally sponsored schemes, it comes they have they have, have grants, yes. but then they don't have flexibility. They, you know, it is not an untied grant. So yes. and therefore, we increased it by two two and a half percentage points. So it's not really that we have made a massive increase. So in some ways, I think this was an act of rebalancing. You know, we did this act of rebalancing. Yes, of course, the the central government has always. complained that you see we have gone well beyond uh, what they wanted us to do yes. but but then the finance commission is an independent body it is supposed to do however you should also realize that you you know this finance commission is only one of the instruments finance yes. commission giving to transfer the total amount of money the decision on the total amount of money to be given to the states is decided by the government central government itself yes and that has not changed in fact that in fact you know if you look at it something like the 60% of the state central revenues are generally the tax revenues generally go to the states that is you know for both the finance commissions uh, tra- transfers and other transfers so that has not changed what happened immediately was immediately after the recommendations were made you know in the untied transfer to the state states increased flexibility to the states increased to that extent but then the central government was not satisfied with that so that see um, the recommendation um, the implementation of the recommendation coincided with the sharp reduction in the petroleum prices yes the international price of crude what yes. the central government did is to levy additional excise duties yes. on states 
and any discretionary changes that they made is through cessation and surcharges so mm -hmm. to a considerable extent and these are not shareable with the states and to a considerable extent what the finance commission did through increased uh, ta tax devolution they undid through increasing you know taxes on which only go to the center and as a sub subsequently there even the centralized sponsor team they had a, a committee which basically made a recommendation you know they appointed a committee to rationalize the centralized sponsor schemes and that committee you know there were about 66 schemes they it, you know they reduced it to 29 umbrella schemes yes. and then classified the schemes into schemes into you know sort of core of the core core and optional, optional. and in, increase the state share in the in the in the in the in these schemes earlier for example sarva shiksha abhiyan the center used to pay 75% and the state used to pay 25 now most of the things have been reduced to 60 40 mm, indeed okay. now they and in other words they increase the share of the states okay. so our attempt at rebalancing and and giving a larger share of larger proportion of untied transfers was could be a considerable extent you know done away with you know sort of nullified through some of these measures but nevertheless i think the states were happy and uh, you know um, and I, i i thought i mean there was a lot of hue and cry at the time you know many of the people saying that oh now you know centrally sponsored schemes on education healthcare and all that will go will vanish and you know the cent and then obviously the money the state will not make adequate allocation to you know social sector mm. and that was not found to be true states continue to make substantial allocation to the social sector it's another thing that what they make what allocation is made is not enough because they don't have the money you know yeah. that's different issue but basically um, you know one it is not that finance commission did something very unusual i mean we did only a marginal increase but to a considerable extent that has been nullified by the actions of the state so in other words you see the, you know you need much more robust institutional mechanism for for fiscal federalism you know cannot be done by one institution called the finance commission seriously indeed because sir it's a zero sum game if you increase the share of the states obviously the center share already come down so that's a great great point sir uh, it gave more clarity uh, since you were mentioning about the share of the grant for most of the government schemes we observe that the fund sharing is in the ratio of 60 40 uh, for the plain states and 90 is to 10 for the himalayan and northeastern states it is in fact that dehli states find it difficult to raise funds given their topography however don't you feel that uh, don't you feel there must be a more focus on capacity building in these states to bring them at par with the rest of india rather than providing uh, constant financial support even after 70 years well i think um, you know there are there are, you know issue is a little more complicated than that yes you know until the time there was no partition in the country that belonged to the mainstream yes and once you know you had the east pakistan card out and the entire northeastern region got cut off yes the only way to northeast is something like 25 km this thing called the chicken neck yes you know through siliguri area 
Yes. Now that is so you complete loss of connectivity. No, he will be very surprised that northeastern states, in particularly Assam, had a per capita income higher than the national average, and now it is only about 60-70 percent of the national average. Now over a period, over the years, connectivity has been a major problem. They and when you have the connectivity as a major problem, both physical and social infrastructure has not been developed. And then obviously there are the, these are all tribal areas, and there is a whole lot of insurgency that has come up in these areas. Yes. So issue is not very simply one of actually capacity building there. The issue is one of governance. Issue is one of uh, uh, you know as I said connectivity, the infrastructure, the whole lot of things that are associated with that. Now, in fact, I mean, I was the director of NIPAP. There was, you know, in fact, uh, the Ministry of Northeastern um, Northeastern Region requested us to do requested uh, uh, us to do a vision document for the Northeastern Region, and I actually led a team of uh, official, you know, sort of scholars to do this study, and we came up with a very different, you know, sort of very detailed uh, uh, vision document. Which was signed by all the chief ministers and governors, and adopted, but nothing has been done thereafter. Yes. So there is a lot of infrastructure thing that needs to be done. But at the same time, there are some bright spots. Today, if you look at it, you know the uh, <coughs> uh, Sikkim has the second highest per capita per capita income in the country after Goa. After Goa, yes. After Goa. Now the the things are happening in some places. Not in all places, but uh, things are happening. Uh, you know, in fact, if you look at the revenue collection, the GST collections there are reasonably high. You know, it's not as it used, it was not as high as you know in the plains, but then it's certainly much better than what they used to collect. Yes. Um, as we go further, I think you know, it's, you once you start giving crutches, it will continue to be crutches. That yeah. is one of the reasons why. You know the Putin Finance Commission when it made a when it made an assessment, we did not make an assessment saying that this is for general category states and this is for the special category states. The money from the center goes to the states for enabling the states to provide comparable levels of public services at comparable tax rate. Yes. You know, if you are talking about the comparable levels of public services at comparable tax rates, you should offset their revenue disability. You should offset their cost disability. In other words, their tax base is low. Even yeah. if they levy the tax at the same rate, the per capita tax collection will be low. Mm -hmm. So you need you need to really offset this. No, no, that is the basic purpose of general purpose transfer. Yes. And and so we did we made a similar assessment like others. You know, we did not do this thing, but but it is, but obviously this. Special categorization has been an act of uh, the, the National Development Council and the Planning Commission, and that has continued. And but then I think either you need to give them more money, or you should spend more money in building a proper infrastructure. Yes. And you should help them, handhold them to ensure that you know sort of. In fact, you see that the Nagaland, you know, insurgency issue has continued forever. Yes. So you need to put these things down. You have, there has to be a clarity. You know the basic function of the government is to enforce property rights. Seriously, basic basic function of the government is to ensure, you know, to protect the life and property of the people and enforce property rights. 
Now, if, unless and until that is done, your investment will not take place. So, mm. investment can take place unless you know you need to really do that. And once you do that, then you don't have to give. You know, you the thing. The failure is as much on the part of the center as it is on the part of the states, because you know at the end of the day, these are all states with international borders. These are the states where there is a huge amount of insurgency, and then we have not yet settled these as a part of access into the the country. I mean, who is supposed to do all this? Once you do that, I think the things will be much better. But the basic, until then, you know, these crutches will continue. And however much I talk about it or you talk about it, the problem will continue until these basic conditions for development are satisfied. Seriously, it means the problem is more of political, not of economical. Well, it is both political and economic. As I said, it's a much more complicated, you know, this thing. It's political. It is social. It is economic. You see, when the northeasterns come here, you don't you discriminate against them. You know, yeah. I mean, there is a whole lot of things that happen. Yeah, there are cases. There cases. Is, the national yeah, capital. I mean, they need to feel that they belong to the country. Seriously, yes. You know, I mean, the point is, if they don't don't feel that they don't belong to the country, and then you tell tell them that you don't belong to the country, the things don't work. Seriously, indeed. So, apart from tourism, what are the areas? If we make a checklist, what are the areas that northeastern state can empower themselves? To? You know, you know, there are two ways of developing a state. One is either you take capital, yes, or you take the people out of, of people and take them to the capital. I mean, if you have seen, there are two things that have happened. There are a large number of these states have a tremendous potential for floriculture. They, have, you know, horticulture. You know, possibly some of the best kiwi fruits grown in the country come from Arunachal Pradesh. Yes. Okay. Now, you know, I mean, you want to get a kiwis from Australia, New Zealand, but then there are some of the best kiwi fruits come from there. Yeah. And in fact, some of the states, because better, with the better connectivity, are actually exporting a large number of exotic varieties of flower. So you have, I mean, for example, Sikkim has a completely natural way of you know cultivation you don't have you know sort of organic way of cultivation so there are lots of things you know in fact some of these large cardamoms the most most expensive large cardamoms most of it is grown in sikkim yes you know i mean so there is a lot of potential there but then they need connectivity many of these items are perishable and they need connectivity and then obviously they can you know have a quick transportation okay. you know sikkim you know got its airport you know just a, few, a couple of years ago i mean you don't even have a airport mizoram had his airports only a few years ago no i mean you know aizol for example so perishables perish you do perish. need to really have that so in other words there's a lot of investment that you need to do in uh, in uh, infrastructure there's a lot of investment that you need to do in terms of you know settling the settling the the the, the entire this insurgency issue and yeah. once that happens because you see transportation becomes much more in the areas where there is insurgency so yes. once that happens the things can do much better uh, since the 14 finance commission had mandated uh, prudent levels of both fiscal deficit that is 3% of uh, gsdp and debt to gdp for the state is 25% that must not be breached by the states when we consider the data from the states 
except for the fiscal year 2016-17 the state government have regularly met their fiscal deficit target of 3% of gdp uh, this is a matter of concern because most states ended up meeting the fiscal deficit target not by increasing their revenues but by reducing their expenditure and increasingly borrowing from the market what are your thoughts on it sir well um, this question requires multiple answers but let me just start by saying the following number one you know sort of your interpretation that 3% of gdp and 25% of gdp as fiscal deficit target is broadly true not entirely true yes because the finance commission went a little bit we see its recommendations are very nonsense it went a little ahead and said that if a particular state has its its debt to gdp ratio less than 25% and its interest payment to revenue less than 10% 10% in the previous year it can get additional borrowing space of 25 basis points that means states can go up to 3.5% of gdp gsdp if its debt to gsdp ratio is less than 25% and its interest payment to revenue ratio is less than 10% okay now so that means some flexibility was given okay. to the states that there so i mean so i want to keep the matters you know clear yes. it's not just 3% i mean so some states which had a better borrowing capacity were given more borrowing space yes and then what happens is that obviously any target that you give any any summary measure that you give as a target obviously the focus will be on target yes. if you say that you should have a revenue like this and an expenditure like this you know you put multiple targets then obviously they will have to look for multiple targets now you can increase the reduce the deficit either by i mean again you know it's not that they really have much of a choice what really happens is that the central government they have to seek the permission of the center to borrow center to borrow yes you know the constitution gives them that the allows them to borrow but if they are indebted to the center they have to seek the permission of the center to borrow the center will not allow them to borrow more than 3% of gsdp the, so obviously they are you know it's a sort of a hard budget constraint yes when you have that so they have the flexibility either to raise revenue but what revenue can be raised particularly after the gst was ceded to the gst council mm. you know you don't really have much of the taxes the only major taxes they have so called major within united commerce taxes they have is excess duty on alcohol sales mm. value added tax on petroleum products motor vehicles tax taxes on stamps and registration duties on property transfers mm, these are the these are the only thing mm. and you know obviously there are limits beyond which they can raise the administration matters a little gst is entire administration virtually the entire thing is taken away from them you know impact maneuverability so obviously they don't really have and then what happens the central government goes up and increases the price of petroleum products and then leaves very little scope for these people to to raise taxes to raise taxes and now no, because they raise the additional excise duty even now The, the crude oil prices have fallen the central government has gone ahead and then increased the, the additional yes, excise duty yes. and this additional excise duty when you increase that is not shareable with the states so they don't really have the, the have that much you know in other words you curtail the tax taxing space so yes. they don't really have much much of a taxing space so what do they do 
they don't have much of a thing where they can sell and then you know the disinvest and they do that and of course some of the states are now thinking because of the covid problem that's a different issue but so obviously the the, the only thing is expenditure here again what happens is that the productive expenditure get taxed capital expenditure are the ones easy to cut because the committed expenditures and wages and salaries and then, you know and then of course um, uh, interest payments pensions etc cannot be done then you can't do anything so there has been a problem but that problem is i mean it is natural to you know now the issue therefore is you know you know there is you know i mean you can also ask this following the question you know in fact if you look at the um, frbm review committee which looked at the you know nk sing committee which looked at the thing yes. you know i mean they said that the target you know for the fiscal responsibility this thing target is the debt to gdp ratio yes and in order to reduce the debt to gdp ratio they said the anchoring variable is deficit to gdp ratio so you know i mean that comes from there and in fact you see you revenue you, the earlier in the frbm act you had a target on revenue deficit talk yes but now but now they don't have the yes. revenue deficit target so the so the ultimately if the objective is to raise the debt to gdp ratio and fiscal deficit is the anchor you know your objective in whether to increase revenue or cut down the expenditure you know sort of that doesn't get into the entire scheme of things yes. so obviously it's a question of um, it's a it's a question of uh, making allocation from the scarce resources that you have and that's all that one has to one can do and the states have tried to do their best at least they have contained their fiscal deficit within uh, 3% though, though, though there are some exceptions Yes. Because, for example, you know, because of the poor performance, the you know the electricity distribution sector, they had to take over the the loans, and then obviously the the interest payment had to be paid on that. The deficit are exceeding the three percent level that yes. um, that was said, uh, but but by and large, you know, they have maintained that they had to maintain that, and then they don't really have much of a uh, you know much of a Way to raise revenue, and they have to cut down expenditures. So, as as per the constitutional provision, that is highly elastic. Elastic revenues are so revenue sources are under the jurisdiction of union or the central government, like foreign aid, uh, deficit financing. As a result, with the passage of time, states in India, states in India have more have become more and more dependent on the center for financial help. What are your views on this? As you were mentioned earlier, also. so how you can raise the extra sources of revenue for the states it means is the government union government should allow the states to borrow from foreign funds or take um, amount of loans from the developmental banks like you see the founding fathers of constitution had thought of uh, the issue in a very very systematic manner in uh, the literature on fiscal federalism you come very clearly which it shows that you know the, there are three major functions of the government macroeconomic stabilization yes. redistribution of incomes and allocation of resources between the public and private sectors and among various services within the public sector yes now macroeconomic stabilization is predominantly a central function 
I didn't say exclusively, predominantly. Now, which basically implies that the center has the major responsibility to see that volatility in prices is contained, employment is increased, and then you know macroeconomic variables have set in motion for a faster growth, etc., etc. So the predominant responsibility is that. And if you allow the states to go and borrow, yes, from anywhere and everywhere. Then there is no control over the overall, you know, overall debt situation in the country, which is a very crucial variable to determine the macroeconomic stability. Yeah. And you know, again, you know, deficit financing. You, you said, you know, these are not revenues. Mm-hmm. Deficit financing is source of financing. It is not revenue means you have to earn. This is an yes. earn, you know, you, There is no earning here. Yes. And so the point is. So, elastic sources of revenue are income tax. That is the only major elastic source of revenue. Okay. Here, so obviously, when you are saying that, you know, deficit financing, you know, even the center, you know, you know, in fact, there is always this case when the markets fail, the governments come have to come and then uh, intervene. Yes. What do you, what do you do when the governments fail? You know, we had a massive, we had a massive deficit financing that was done before. And we got into a major, you know, sort of balance of payment crisis in 1991. And thereafter, there has been a lot of thinking on this. And then, of course, the Fiscal Responsibility Budget Management Act came in 2003 to tell the central government that you also should control your deficit. It is not that you can go again. But before that, before that, you know, the, the, before 91, there, 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 you, there, were, there never used to be a terminology in our discourse called fiscal deficit. Seriously. This, um, you know, they used to say budget deficit. Budget deficit, yes. And the budget deficit is not fiscal deficit. Budget deficit is, you see, you borrow from the market and whatever is uncovered by the borrowing of market is actually borrowing from directly from the Reserve Bank of India by issuing short-term, you know, treasury bills. Treasury bills, yes. And it was automatic. So there was automatic monetization of the deficit that went on. And that went on. And that is one of the reasons why, you know, whatever is not covered, you know, I have an ambitious plan of spending. And so the Reserve Bank will print money. And then you did not look at the consequences in terms of inflation. Seriously. And then what happened was that in 1990s, you know, this discussion went on. You know, we can't be letting it happen. In 1997, there was an agreement between the then governor of Reserve Bank of India was Rangarajan, and then finance Minister of Finance Secretary, and that was Monte Kalwadia. There was an agreement that in future we will not do automatic monetization of the deficit. We will get rid of this entire business of treasury bills, issuing treasury bills and automatic monetization. Yes. And so from 1998 onwards, they, you know, you don't have automatic monetization. Yes. So even the deficit financing can't be done. You know, the point that I'm trying to make is even the center cannot do deficit financing as it wants. Yes. And, you know, in the in the earlier, it can borrow from the market. But if you borrow from the market, the yield goes up. And if the yield goes up, you have to pay a much higher rate of interest. Yes. So there have been certain amount of checks and balances that have been put in place. Yeah. But at the same time, and of course, 2003, there was a fiscal responsibility act. It basically said that you have got to really control your deficit. Government of India has been promoting and possibly the solution to that is another institution. In fact, in many of the countries, they have what is called fiscal council. Okay. Now, for example, in the United States, you have what is called the Congressional Budget Office. Yes. 
in many other countries you have what is called the parliamentary budgetary officers in uk you have what is called office of office of uh, budget and accountability these are created by the parliament to provide a check against the government's decision to go on, go on really you know sort of you know doing the deficits you know incurring deficits and then monitoring them you know yes. control and auditing them comes after the event is over oh, but this is on the concurrently they start with evaluating your budget forecast saying whether your budget forecasts are right or wrong and when some governments comes up and make comes up with the major schemes and then makes announcement of the schemes nobody actually budgets these schemes these be the this parliamentary budget office actually estimates what would be the expenditure involved in actually carrying out this scheme mm. you know you said namami gange it has gone on and a lot of money had been put in the drain and we don't know what is what is the total amount that is really required to clean up the ganges and what are the various things but we have been spending taxpayers money on these and then the third thing is monitoring the fiscal deficit of the government and saying that look you can't do this yes so that has not happened and in fact there is a recommendation in the 14th finance commission basically asking the the government to move the parliament to appoint a fiscal council Yes. Okay. Now, I mean, yes. these are all institutions of, you know, the the basic question that I asked. Yes. When the go, when the market fails, the government intervene. When the government fails, what do you do? You yes. need you need to have the institutions yes. to create checks and balances in the system, and yes. that is what precisely what um, you know we had said. But in any case, as I said, you know, it is not that the government of India has all the things. and the gov state governments have to really manage within whatever is available and that is the reason why you have an independent institution called the finance commission which comes every 5 years and then basically examines the finances of the center as well as the state and sees what is the reasonable amount of money that can be transferred to the to the state and one to the to the credit of successive governments in india one of the major uh, things about the finance commission is that it has been respected its mandate has been taken and then its recommendations have been accepted yes indeed. for the most part i mean by and large there have yeah. been one or, one or two exceptions but by and large the basic recommendations and the transfers have been accepted yes i think after the uh, change in the organization of planning commission to niti aayog the relevance of finance commission has come up and that's a great because we have a constitutional body and that that's, that's not really the case i'll tell you it is not the relevance of the commission has come up actually it resurrected the revolution you see if you look at go back and look at the history yes in you know sort of when the third finance came in, commission came into picture you know that finance commission was not asked to look at only the non plan side i mean it was asked to look at the totality yes but by that time the planning commission has become a reality though it is not a constitutional body it's a you know extra it, it was created by a cabinet resolution yes now but then what happened is that the the government asked the member secretary the serving officer of the government member secretary to write a note of dissent the main recommendation was that yes planning commission exists now we will give we will assess the entire thing for plan side we will give something like you know sort of uh, we will give 75% will take into account 25% recommendation you know sort of grant they can give the planning commission can give this was the main recommendation 
But the note of decision is that you should completely desist from looking at the plan side at all together. Another planning commission to do. And when that happened, when that is the only time in the history of this country that the finance commission recommendation was rejected, rejected. and the note of dissent of the, the member secretary was taken, and subsequently for all the finance commissions, the term of reference basically said you look at only the non-tariff expenditure requirement. Until the 14th commission, where somebody forgot to put that word non-plan. You know, the, so the basic point that I am doing. So now. So, you know, in fact, this is the idea about looking at, you know, sort of not looking at the, uh, the idea about looking the entire thing holistically came even before the finance, the planning commission came into picture. Planning commission was abolished because the terms of reference was given much before the planning commission was abolished. Yeah. And it's a different thing that the planning commission is abolished. So, you know, about the constitution envisaged the finance commission to be the only body to make the transfers. Yes. But then the other things have developed. Discretionary transfers came in, but then with the abolition of the planning commission, at least the general purpose transfers, you know, came to be the entire priority of the of the finance commission. Since you were talking about uh, the old finance commission or previous finance commission, uh, if you see the number of people in the state is a determinant of amount of resources required by the state. However, the weightage of the population has uh, has been steadily decreasing in the recommendation of subsequent finance commission, and it is evident from the latest finance commission report as well. How has this helped in the better resource allocation? You know, in, in order to know that, you need to know what is the what is the purpose of transfer. What do you want? What is the objective of making transfers from the center to the states? Yeah. As I said, in the, in the in the according to the received wisdom and the theory. That you know, there are states with the high tax base. There are states with low tax base. Yes. There are states where you need to the cost of providing public services is high. Then the states where cost of providing services is low. In a situation like that, if you say that the objective of the transfer is to enable enable the states to provide comparable levels of services at comparable tax rates, yes, then. What you really have to do, population is only a neutral fraction. It is a scale factor. Yes. What you really have to do is to provide for revenue disabilities and cost disabilities. If you are providing for revenue disabilities, that means that the state's per capita, you know, you know, the from the ta low tax base it has, its per capita tax collection at the same rate of tax is low. You know, Bihar, for example, you say 10% tax in Bihar will get very little per capita tax as compared to 10% tax in um, Haryana. Oh, yes. So the, 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 the public service quality and quantity of public services provided in Haryana will be much higher than that of Bihar if you don't have a transfer. So if you say that you need to equalize, that means comparable levels of public services you want to give, then obviously the revenue disability of you know, Bihar has to be taken into account. So revenue, so basic objective of the transfer system is to offset the revenue disabilities and cost disabilities. And if that is the case, over the year, success finance companies have been trying to get proxies. Yes. So, you know, you say the distance from the highest per capita income multiplied by population is basically multiplied by population is the scale factor. 
but yes. distant from highest per capita income that you take or the inverse of per capita income that you take is yes. to take out the revenue generated the state with the lower revenues have to be given more more yes so so this is the type of so that is how see you take forest cover mm. you know obviously the cost visibility is higher in from yes. where there is forest you can't raise revenue yes seriously so or for that matter density of or the for that matter area of a state Yes. Larger the state, obviously the cost of providing public services would be higher. So most of the factors that you take into account in the tax devolution formula represent predominantly revenue disability and cost disability factors, and some weighted, and all these are weighted with population. Yes. Now it is not that so the population the explicit weight is given, but in addition. Each one of these factors is weighted with population. Population, yes. So yes. there is the implicit weight of population is still substantial, but yes. that is the way it is. That is the way it is done. Okay. So thank you so much for coming on to our show, sir. At last, a uh, few words of encouragement for e commerce. Well, I mean, I think um, you are doing a wonderful job. The colleagues, um, thinking tree. Um, I think you know these are some of the issues which are basically. Uh, they 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 are far too technical for people to understand in one go, and um, you know you are doing a great things by you know putting these uh, you know these things out so that you know one gets an informed understanding of uh, you know various complicated issues in policy, and that's extremely important for uh, uh, you know for the people at large. For the policymakers as well. Even I have seen most of the policymakers don't know the the uh, the technicalities of things, and some of us who have nothing better to do, you know, go on reading and writing on the same subject and mm. become so-called specialists. And when you become, and it is always nice uh, to share these so that general understanding and you know of the subject goes up, general thinking of the subject goes up. you will be able to appreciate the entire thing much better you know in the sense that you know when a particular policy is put out you will be able to appreciate it better if you know what exactly is the logic behind the entire scheme of things and um, so in that sense of the term i think ecoholics think agree is doing a wonderful job and you should keep it up thank you so much Uh, and thank you dr rao to coming on our show and it was a very insightful discussion very eye opening session uh, because what we read in the newspaper is very different what you have explained so it's like more clarity on the thought especially on the center state relation fiscal federalism thank you so much sir coming to our show and thank so wonderful so have a nice day you were listening to the thinking tree podcast powered by ecoholics private limited for more information visit www.ecoholics.in